guys, it's Janice. If you love this podcast and you've gotten great value and maybe a bit of entertainment out of past episodes, please consider a donation in support of both my podcast fees and my coffee habit. There's no obligation. Just click the link below and thanks so much for your support. Now on to today's episode. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Today's interview is a bit different. I usually interview a female entrepreneur about how they're running their business and operating. But today, I'm talking with Abby Schoenberg, Marketing Director at Fancy.com. Now, Fancy.com, if you haven't already been there, it's like a curated Amazon. And I'm not going to lie, I have spent time perusing the hat section. I really love hats, and they have some nice ones. Okay, yeah, I've checked out the entire site and had to put it away before my credit card came out. Abby has spent 15 years with marketing direct-to-consumer brands, building campaigns and programs and strategies to generate growth and brand love. And she now leads the integrated marketing team at Fancy.com, where they do digital, media, and content marketing. They focus on creative and strategic, collaborative planning and problem solving. Now, if this isn't your first episode, then you know that the strategic and creative are like pillars of my love language. I loved talking with Abby about community building and strategic communications in an online world. She has a vast amount of experience and information, and she generously shared throughout the interview. I was super busy scribbling notes the whole time. I actually had to tell her, like, don't mind me if I'm not looking at you because I'm scribbling notes. She's a lovely person to hang out and chat with. She's incredibly experienced. And I know you are going to love listening to her. So let's jump right in to today's interview with Abby Schoenberg. Hi. I'm Janice Fogarty, and I'm a communications strategist and consultant. The Connections Coffee Confidence Podcast is for professional women entrepreneurs who have established themselves and their business, and they're ready to get serious about using the power of communication to surpass their business goals. On this podcast, I discuss everything from leadership to establishing a business vision to the intricacies of creating messaging, publicity, and more. I speak to women who excel in communications in their business, whatever they do, and get an inside look at how they created a thriving livelihood. So top up your mug and welcome to this week's episode. Well, thank you so much, Abby. I really appreciate you joining me here today. I'm wondering, can you give us just a little little background on yourself, who you are, where you come from, what you do? Awesome. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me on. Um, Obviously, my name is Abby Schoenberg. I've been in the marketing industry for about 15 years. Um, I've spent time at big businesses, 
currently at, you know, a smaller company that's more in a startup mode and um, have kind of touched a wide range of industries from consumer product to travel to retail. Um, between my experience at Forever 21 um, and Oakley, uh, sunglass brand, Contiki, which was a travel provider. And now I'm at Fancy, which is an online retailer um, of home goods and accessories. So um, I've spent, you know, a lot of my time in the digital space, obviously having been in marketing in, in this era, I think we all, you know, have to get comfortable with it, um, ranging from media and digital marketing to influencer programs to marketing general, you know, in regards to email and, you know, online presence and branding and all of those different areas. So definitely have touched a bit of each and, you know, definitely have found a bit of my heart in the digital space. So that's where I've been spending most of my time in, in most recent years. Fantastic. And with all that experience behind you, what is it that sticks out that you love the most? I would say it's a constantly evolving job and industry. I think that there is, you know, no room to get comfortable. And I think that can be a, a, you know, something you hate and something you love all in the same time and that you consistently have to continue to adapt. Um, But I think it also keeps this industry very, very interesting in the sense of, you know, innovation coming out every single day, changes to, you know, policies and, you know, guidelines coming from, you know, major brands like Facebooks and Googles and, you know, how you can see even consumer behavior evolve over time. And I think that has made this job something that, you know, you can wake up every day and do the same thing, or you can really challenge yourself and and try to stay ahead of the curve and, and learn and grow as the industry shifts and evolves. And I think that's been something I've really loved about being in marketing and in particular in digital marketing space is, you know, there's always somewhere to go. There's, you know, never, never time to become, you know, stale or, you know, get your feet too locked in any one position. So I think that's always been something exciting to me about this role. And is that something that you see as a double-edged sword? Like, would you say the hard part is there's, there is no downtime? For sure. You know, I think it's, you know, I definitely have my days where I'm like, oh, it would be so nice just to, you know, have a few months where I could just relax. But, you know, I think that's never going to be the case in this, this area and this arena. And, you know, I think it takes, you know, a real entrepreneurial spirit to come in and want to really tackle those challenges and stay on top of those changes and trends. Um, But yeah, it's something you have to be conscious of. And I think the people who you know, do a really great job at staying on top of trends or the ones that ends up being very successful because things are changing so frequently. So it is a bit stressful for sure. If you, if I want to say that, and, and that you, you do have to, you know, stay on top of the industry news. You do have to stay on top of the trends. You do have to stay on top of data. Um, but it also makes it really exciting and it definitely gives you something to bite into every day when you go to work. That's a lovely way to look at it. Yeah, <laughs> that's helpful for sure. <laughs> Brilliant. And speaking of a, a lovely way to look at something, I, mm-hmm. okay, I didn't just go to fancy.com once. I may have gone a few times. Because, like <laughs> yeah, oh, well, yeah, I guess so, eh? <laughs> um, it's actually a lovely website. Like I really appreciate the way that it looks and the way it's laid out and it's very user-friendly. Um mm-hmm. And it says that, like the website actually says that, you know, it's like an upscale curated Amazon. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also says that it's a social shopping platform and a social yes. e-commerce marketplace. Can you explain what those terms mean? Like, what, is, what does that mean? Yeah, of course. Um, and we've actually internally started 
referencing fancy and the way we position ourselves almost as the, the Spotify of shopping in the sense that, you know, we are at heart an e-commerce business and we are at heart, you know, focused on the product and the product delivery and the customer service of a true e-commerce retailer. But at the same time, we are also aware that having social elements and social integration into the website is making the experience more connected user to user, making the shopping experience more fun um, and letting people discover in a way that feels a little bit more natural through friend to friend referral and through, you know, a way to create, you know, lists and collections and just a different way versus just consistently kind of scrolling through an endless product feed and adding things to baskets. So we have kind of two, two layers of our business. The one is obviously making it the best e-commerce experience and hosting the best products that we can find available in that home decor and e-commerce, um, home decor and accessories space. But at the same time, we also know that there is this desire in the marketplace for connectivity and for this social concept around, you know, how do you connect with others with similar style and taste? How do you, you know, share different products with your friends? How do you make the online shopping experience as social as the former offline shopping experience used to be? Um, and I think that's a challenge that a lot of retailers are dealing with in the sense that, you know, you do see this industry moving very online, especially in this era that we've been in, in the last few months, um, almost a year at this point. Um, so you are missing some of those social cues that used to come from shopping with your friends and shopping with your, you know, girlfriends or family member or mom or brother. Um, and so we're trying to bring that back into the social, we're back into the e-commerce landscape a little bit. So I think there's two ways that we look at social commerce and social e-commerce. Um, obviously there's the Instagram side of it where it's, you know, hosted on a social media platform in a way that you can buy and shop without leaving the comfort of your Instagram feed and in, in that platform. But I also think that there's an evolving, you know, evolving concept of social commerce, which is very much that just socialization of shopping um, and the way that you shop as a community versus, you know, just necessarily needing to sit inside an e-commerce or sitting inside of a social platform. So I think that that's the way we were looking at it more in the latter of, you know, how do we create an experience that's more social and connected, but then you also, you know, how are we playing in the true social commerce space of, you know, the Instagrams, Facebook marketplace, TikToks of the world that, you know, are providing that arena for people to browse products that are of interest to them. So it's not a small thing. <laughs> no. Those are, those are ginormous um, and really complex approaches. Yes. And I think they're so timely. And I think it's, um, I think it's something that a lot of people, a lot of businesses, if they're not already thinking about it, mm -hmm. they will be very soon. Yeah. They're really big when you sit down and break them down like that. Yeah. And I think you can also, you know, they don't have to be these massive beasts that you go after. I think if you take a step back and think about what the social social media is trying to do or social commerce is trying to do. It's just relationship building, right? And I think even small businesses can look at that of like, how do they create a more social experience between their customer service teams and their customers? Or, you know, how do they engage, you know, and, and integrate their products better into, you know, what they're doing in social media? Um, how do you work with influencers and partners to, you know, help them generate the word of mouth for your brand to make it feel a bit more socialized and drive, you know, sales through, a more kind of natural referral mechanism. Yeah. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of ways that you can look at the latter side of social commerce and say, you know, at the end of the day, it's shopping by community, right? It's shopping in a way that feels connected to, you know, the community that you've built, whether that be online or offline. Um, and so I think that there's ways to tackle it, 
without having, you know, massive social media teams and massive development teams that are building social features within your website, but just a behavioral shift of, you know, how do you think about community centric shopping and how do you think about how you behave in that space um, to make your shopping and your, you know, so your experience with whatever retail business you, you know, are managing a bit more connected consumer to consumer, consumer to brand. Mm-hmm. And really approaching it from that consumer position, their, exactly. their reference point of how, how to make it social. Exactly. Yeah. And I think, no, yeah, it makes total sense. I think, um, as I mentioned, it's a constantly evolving landscape with, with the digital yeah. marketing, you know, and I think, you know, as a brand, we're not going up and saying, Hey, we're going to compete with Instagram shopping. Like that's not a goal of ours. It shouldn't be a, you know, a goal of a lot of people. Cause it's obviously a, a massive behemoth of a brand, but how do we interpret social shopping and how do we interpret like why people are drawn to that and why people are drawn to shopping in that way. And how do we translate that into something approachable for us at Fancy? And I think, you know, I have, do have the benefit of having an incredible development team and designers and people that can, you know, really approach a very tech savvy way of making that person to person connection work. Mm -hmm. But it also can be very natural in the sense of just how you maybe connect consumers together, connect consumers to your partners or connect consumers to your brand or to people within your team, um, just to make it feel a bit more personalized. You had said that um, Fancy is kind of a a newer brand. Mm -hmm. How do you, like, what types of things would you think about as a marketer um, in bringing your brand forward, like in moving it on? Yeah. And I I think Fancy has been a really interesting company to work for because it's actually been around for some time. I mean, we've only been in the true e-commerce space for a couple years. So we definitely feel very much like a startup in that sense of how we've taken the business from being more of a social media platform to being um, a true e-commerce solution for, for people to shop and find amazing, you know, unique products from around the world. Um, so that has been, you know, our biggest transition. So as you start to, as we started to look, obviously we have an existing, existing consumer base of people who were engaged with that more social media side of the business. And now we're trying to evolve and, and, and move into this e-commerce sector. And that comes in two ways that comes in keeping with keeping that original base engaged, but it also comes with now becoming attractive to someone that is looking for an e-commerce solution that may not have been initially attracted to fancy in the social space. So, I mean, I think there's quite a few ways and things that we have started to do. And I, you know, I call them, you know, marketing and digital marketing table stakes, right? Like, do we have, you know, our social calendar and do we have, you know, have we been testing some social media marketing, um, both paid and organic, you know, starting to try to find our voice in that channel, what content's working, um, and really trying to test the different avenues of, of what's available. And I think, you know, surprising to us, we've really found that Instagram Reels has been a really popular channel for people that are going to be drawn to, to fancy. So that's been something that we've uncovered in the last few months. Um, it's also, you know, setting things up like, you know, do you have the budget to go into Google? It's something, you know, we're looking at our balance between traditional SEM and Google shopping. Like, how do we want to play in both of those spaces? Is one more important than the other? And then how do we eventually re- um, continue to evolve that into, you know, the other Google properties like YouTube and just doing different things like setting up and starting to reach out on partnerships and starting to reach out to different brands and social, you know, nano and micro and standard influencers to start to help get the word out about the brand. Cause I still am a massive, massive believer in word of mouth. And I think a way that a lot of marketers can control that is a bit through the influencer ambassador space where, you know, you're introducing in a really purposeful way, your brand to people that have, you know, 
a larger kind of audience of people that are really looking for the recommendations and, and what's interesting to them. So I think doing a little bit of work in, in setting up the right partnerships, finding the types of individuals that really resonate with your audience and their, their audiences resonate back with your brand. And it can be very time consuming, but it's really approachable at any budget. You know, there's a lot of, Mm -hmm. a lot of levels of partnerships that are working, willing to work off trade. There's, you know, some that you obviously have to, you know, find some budget to support it, but um, it is something that I think is really approachable for a lot of different people, no matter what level or what size budget that you have. And it's where we put a lot of our attention at Fancy is, you know, developing relationships and creating connections with some of these individuals of influence um, and finding a lot of success really in that nano and micro space of people that have really focused areas of of interest. Like we work with a really um, cute garden influencer because we have a lot of gardening products and she's got maybe 15,000 followers, but she's generated a ton of interest for our brand. Um, Mm -hmm. It's been really interesting to see, you know, the difference between working with someone, you know, at that level versus working with, you know, the hundred thousand plus, you know, individuals with following and and really seeing some difference between engagement and, and trust of the followers to that individual. I'm curious, what do you think is important to have in place as a brand before you create some sort of influencer program? I think you have to know what you stand for, um, for sure. I think you need to be able to communicate that very simply to the individuals that you work with. Um, I think that, you know, depending on what you are, a service, a service brand, um, someone that provides a product, I think you should do, you know, you can use influencers to help you find like what audiences are going to resonate, but you can also use different platforms. If you've done some paid social, if you've done you know, some organic and starting to see, you know, am I getting better engagement from males or females? Am I getting better engagement from this age bracket or this age bracket? And starting to really break down some of your data to understand, okay, I need to be going after influencers that attract this type of individual just to make sure you're spending your time in the right place. Um, And I think, you know, you have to be in the frame of mind to maintain relationships. And I think that that's the biggest thing with influencer marketing is it shouldn't be one and done. You know, it really shouldn't be, you know, I send you one product, you give me one post and we call a day because that honestly is exhausting because then you just have this never ending cycle of like needing to find the new, but really spending the time to nurture the relationships of those that you want to partner with long-term and making it a really mutually beneficial relationship. And I think that's, that tends to be the hardest part of, you know, finding what you can provide back to that individual. And, you know, yes, it could be money, but yes, it could be, you know, you know, consistent seeding of product. It could be exposure of them on your networks. It could be, you know, ways that they can partner and feel more engaged with the brand at a more kind of internal or, you know, part of the team type mechanism. Um, It doesn't always have to be so cash to cash type mentality, but, you know, how do you make them feel part, like part of the brand and how do you make them feel valued as a part of your team? And those are the best relationships I've, you know, in my years and years of working with influencers and ambassadors and, you know, VIP customers that, you know, do provide general great word of mouth. It's, you know, the biggest part is being ready and and having kind of having the plan in place to maintain relationships and really providing a strong value proposition for working with these different partners and influencers. To flip that a little bit, Mm -hmm. what would you advise an entrepreneur to do or have or know before they actually approach a larger brand to become an ambassador? So are you saying um, like an individual, like an entrepreneur wanting to become an ambassador of a large brand or something like that? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think you should know your audience. 
right? I think that that's the most, the biggest thing that a brand's going to care about is how your audience engages, what they care about, what they like, how you intend to use your channel and your influence to help their business. Um, I think that's generally what's been very, very helpful to me if an influencer has that strong understanding. Um, again, I'll use, um, her name's Bailey Van Tassel. I'll just kind of give her a plug because she's been a great partner of ours. Um, but she, she knows her audience and she can come to me and say, hey, these are the products that I, I want to do and this is how I want to position them and this is who I think is going to be interested in, in it with my audience. And just having that really strong understanding of who you, who you reach and how that audience wants to be reached is the most beneficial thing you can provide to any partner that you work with. Because you'll run into definitely some brands that, you know, want to have a bit more creative control and want to have, you know, have it done their way. But I think someone with a strong voice and a strong perspective of what's going to work is always going to come across more valuable. Um, so I think just having that deep understanding of who your audience is, how your audience is best reached, and then, you know, obviously being flexible to work with the brands and maybe any, you know, changes that they need to, to make on their side. Um, to make it brand right for their channels is, is obviously important, but I think that's probably the biggest thing. That seems very data driven, really. Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> yep. As is, I feel like my whole life. <laughs> no, I'm, I am big on knowing who your audience is, knowing how you communicate with them, knowing what they need from mm -hmm. you and then just giving it to them. So uh -huh. I feel exactly. like you're preaching to the choir sitting here. I love it. <laughs> Perfect. I mean, and that that even works brand to brand. I know, you know, it could be small brand to big brand or big brand to big brand, small brand to small brand, just knowing, you know, hey, this is what I can bring to the table and being able to communicate that clearly is always going to help, you know, partnerships get over the line, especially at more of a trade level versus, you know, always needing to have that exchange of cash, um, yeah. which is obviously what I'm always challenged with. I'm always trying to keep my marketing budgets down. So my ROI looks higher. So you know, finding ways to do it in, in interesting ways and just finding, you know, what assets you have beyond money yeah. is, is important. Yeah. I think there's an awful lot to be said for mm -hmm. that intrinsic value of having the relationship. I think that a lot of people underestimate the importance of being made to feel like you're part of something. Exactly. Yeah. It, I, I love hearing you say that. Yeah. It's, you know, it's that, that feeling of, you know, this brand isn't just paying me to do what, you know, they want me to do, but they really care about my success and they really care about my opinion. And I think that goes a long way. Absolutely. You have to mean it, you have to well, mean it when you talk to the influencer, for sure. Um, yeah. But I think it's, I think it, it moves it from an influencer relationship to a partnership. And I think that that's really where you want to strive to be. Yeah. And I think that there's an impact on the end result then as well, 100%. because- People, they might not um, be aware of it, but they will certainly sense a disconnect mm -hmm. in the way somebody is talking about a product or a service if they're not being genuine. They might not exactly. be able to quite pick it up or put their finger on it, but they know there's something just a little bit off on that. Exactly. The customers, I mean, you think about, especially younger generations, if you're in that space where you're advertising to particularly Gen Z and even, you know, millennial Gen, um, Gen X, Gen Y, sorry, I always mix that one up. I think they're very aware of, you know, how influencers make money and how influencers yeah. work with yeah. brands and how influencers, you know, are, are paid to promote certain things. And I think you can, you can almost sniff it out yourself just as being a normal consumer and your, your, your standard feed of like, okay, this is a very transactional, you know, transactional approach 
versus, hey, this influencer really seems to like this product and they really seem to have, you know, a, a positive feeling or a positive representation of the brand. And a lot of that is sometimes just relationship management. You know, it's just, you know, if the influencer had a bad experience with the product, it's asking them questions and saying, hey, you know, we're going to, we're going to make this right. We want to, if this wasn't for you, we're going to give you something else that you do feel more comfortable with um, and really creating that open dialogue. So I think you're right. It's, you know, it, it does get translated in at the consumer end when people see the content and, and, you know, sniffing out the true from, you know, the paid. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. As a, as a digital company, mm-hmm. Fancy sends a daily email to over a million subscribers, has a massive following on Instagram, and almost a million active monthly users on the website, 12 million mm-hmm. accounts and over 800 retail partners. Yeah. That's a lot of relationships. How do, lot you, of relationships. <laughs> how do you manage all of those different types of relationships. Yeah. So, I mean, I think when I came on board, the first exercise that we obviously went through was what does each of the audiences look like? Cause they're all a little bit different, right? Yeah. Like our Instagram audience looks a little, looks and acts a little bit differently than our email audience and our email audience acts differently than our app audience. Um, and I think that step one is, okay, what are the differences between these audiences and what does each, each audience want from the channels that they're participating in and making sure we have a really strong content roadmap and content plan to address each of those situations. Cause you know, I, I obviously understand bandwidth and you know, it's something I stretch from myself and my team on a, a daily basis. But at the end of the day, I think content tailoring to channel is one of the most important things that you can do as a marketer. Um, And it's something, you know, we obviously try to find themes across channel or, you know, focuses per week or per month that we want to, you know, be consistent with, but the execution of that does change um, as we get channel to channel. Um, So I think that's, you know, one way. And obviously we're obviously doing relationship management on a very mass scale in all of these different, different spaces. The second is, you know, looking at data and trying to add as much personalization where we can. So, you know, obviously that comes with, you know, having some tech solutions and having some of that capability with, you know, our development teams to get some of those things accomplished and done. Um, but it is, you know, pulling through, you know, using some of your browse data or app, um, app data to help us pull through and, and populate emails that are, you know, a bit more tailored to you and things that you've shown interest in and want, and want to see. So, you know, that is, you know, an additional layer something that, you know, I have the luxury of being able to do with the teams that I have, but, you know, you can even start to do it on the smaller scales of just adding some code into subject lines to, you know, address the individual by first name or, you know, engage, the, you know, use some code to drop in, you know, the most recent product that they've purchased. Um, so we can add little things like that and, and to make it feel good. And then community management. And I think community management is just a really, it's a tedious job. It's, you know, one that I, you know, even at running a team, I still, you know, make sure I have my hand in the pot and, and, and support them in, in responding to any customer inquiries and, and making sure that we have someone constantly engaging and talking and and being a participant in social media, not just a poster of social media. And I think that's always, you know, a really important thing as we look at audience growth and as we look at audience retention of, you know, if someone asks us a question on our feed, how responsive are we? When they send us a DM, are we writing them back? You know, are we going and, you know, engaging with really relevant hashtags that are important to our audience and, and trying to, you know, get more people to see fancy and also just, be part of the community, not above the community. So I think that that's a really important tactic. And obviously that translates into, you know, our web and app and 
email services just with our customer service team and, you know, making sure that we have, you know, that team educated on, you know, how we want to speak from a marketing perspective and, you know, what are, what do we stand for and what are we going to do to make things right? And how do we engage um, with those audiences? So I think there's some technical aspects, there's planning aspects, but then there's just the down and dirty community management of being responsive and it goes a long way. Yeah. I, I love how you talk about your community management people, the customer relations mm-hmm. people knowing what we stand for, mm-hmm. how we speak to people, what's expected of us as um, representatives of the organization. Exactly. I think it's, it's so important because they're still part of your brand, you know, like that's, and that's like a critical piece of your brand. <laughs> yeah. And I would say, I, I've always put our customer service teams in every, every organization I've worked at as the most critical to know your brand values and the most critical to understand what you stand for and how to speak in tone of voice. Because if you think, you know, in an online world, like obviously if you have a retail, it's, you know, your sales associates, your, your store managers, those individuals, but that person really is the customer service team when you get into an online retailer and they are the front line. They are the person talking to the customer. They can really make or break repeat purchase or, you know, someone pulling the trigger on, you know, the card items that they have, or, you know, being a, a voice of referral or, you know, even it can also translate really negatively. And it could, you know, if they had that wrong and off-brand experience, it could really, you know, run wild in their word of mouth circle. So yeah. I think it's important to remember that, you know, yes, marketing has been so dominated by a digital space and yes, marketing sometimes feels like social media and email and creative and partnerships, but there's so many important factors internally that you just have to make sure are well communicated at the very least and that everyone knows how to, how to speak to the brand. And I've been very lucky to have incredible customer service teams to, you know, really support that and, and find value in it. And I think, you know, those teams want, you know, to feel what, what are like the marketing teams to, you know, give them some of those resources because it helps them at the end of the day, know how to speak to the brand and make them feel confident in their day-to-day work. Out of all of those different channels, is there a clear winner for you as to what um, returns the best for sales and what returns the best for relationships? Email has always been a very strong channel. I think someone that's raising their hand and saying, come on into my inbox is ready to engage and, and, and wants to be part of you know the experience that you're ready to provide. Um, and we are much more product centric, I would say in our email than we necessarily are in some of our other channels. Um, so that one has always been a very, very high focus of mine because you know the audience has raised their hand and said, I wanna hear from your brand on a consistent basis and I'm interested in what you have to say. Um, so I have always put a lot of priority there. And I think app retention has been, you know, obviously the other, you know, big part of that and downloading it's, you know, what's the most invasive, right? What's the most invasive for a customer to do? Usually those are the customers that are kind of ready and, and standing in line to, you know, listen to what you have to say or buy what you put forward next. And, you know, app users are a big part of that. They've downloaded the experience and we want to make sure that they have you know, the best experience possible. And that's where we pull in a lot of our social features and, you know, expose new products and give them special perks and, you know, different things just to make them feel like a a bigger and included part of our community because they have taken some steps. And I think that's important to remember as a marketer, like what customers of yours have really said, come into my life. I'm, I want to be part of your community and how do you reward them for that? Um, So we do those types of things across our email and our app channels. And then obviously social, I think, you know, there's, it, that one is definitely a, you know, maintain top of mind awareness with 
the people that follow us and make sure that we're, you know, staying engaged and talking about, you know, what's new and next and unique with the brand and, and making the content fun and interesting and exposing it. Um, and I think it always acts as a really strong, strong support to, to both of those channels. It's also the way that you can reach outside of your audience. You know, your email and your app audience are pretty closed. You know, they're in it or they're not. Whereas social is a really easy kind of hunting ground for, for new consumers and, and different ways to expose the brand. So sometimes, you know, stepping out and saying, I'm not going to spend all day today focusing on what I'm going to post in my feed, but I'm going to go engage in other feeds and other people's posts and and try to expose myself in a new and interesting way. So they all have a different role, but I think in, inherently email and in our app are our higher returners just because the customers raised their hand and said, tell me what you got. I want to hear more. What do you think the trends in online commerce are going to be? Like, do you see different trends for different market segments or do you see like some big overarching broader trends or what's you, what do you think? Yeah. I mean, I think one that's not necessarily new, but something I I imagine is going to stay very prominent in the years to come is, is ongoing personalization. And it's going to become harder and harder as more and more app privacy and more and more web um, web privacy is, is implemented and, and consumers have more tools to opt in and opt out of tracking. I think obviously personalization relies on understanding your digital footprint but you know we're in this world of you know mass digital shopping and you know a lot of people moving online and being able to sift through the chaos to find what's important to you is is going to be very important i think the other one which you know we're very focused on at fancy is that kind of new view of social commerce in the sense of how do you make the shopping experience less transactional and more engaging and how do you consider you know getting someone to the checkout quickly as an important metric, but also keeping a user kind of connected, engaged in, you know, looking at the shopping experience in a kind of different way, I think is going to be important, especially as we see more and more, you know, more and more generations move from traditional retail into online retail, but they're still looking for, you know, staff. They still want to talk to someone about like what you recommend. They still want to understand what their friends are doing. They still want to understand you know, what products are trending that, you know, there's things that you get in a physical retail experience that you don't always get in the online space. So starting to translate some of those benefits and how do you figure out how to do it digitally and in a really kind of fun and non-robotic way um, into that online experience. And I would say that's really what, you know, Fancy is going to be working on over the next year as, you know, how do we make that shopping experience feel more connected from a community perspective, from a discovery perspective, so we'll be very focused on that. And clearly there's a level of personalization that sits, sits there as well. And I think 2021 will be a continued year of data privacy and we'll see what happens with that. I think being clear with your customers on why you track them, um, being clear on how their data is used and obviously being compliant with all of the data regulations that have come out just recently in California, a couple of years ago with GDPR. Um, I think you know a lot of countries have their own, they'll be coming more and more to the forefront with privacy standards and how do you communicate those to your customer? How do you make sure they have the tools that they need to, to have to, to operate and engage well with, with your brand. And I think just communication of that, and, you know, I sat on a webinar with Facebook the, the other day, and I thought it was interesting that they, with this iOS update that's coming out, it's kind of freaking everybody out. You know, one of their, you know, noted solutions was, Hey, we're going to add a pop-up before you know, the iOS pop-up to opt out of tracking and explain why we track and explain what the benefit is to the consumer. And I think we'll see more and more come down the line of, you know, how one, how we get around cookie blocking and, and data tracking and two, you know, what 
how you engage and make your customer feel comfortable that their data is protected and, and they have control. So I think we'll still continue to see a lot of that in 2021 and beyond. So it's being more transparent in your responsibility. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Much cleaner way to say it. <laughs> I had the, had the benefit of sitting here taking notes while you were talking. Perfect. So. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> What's the best advice you've ever received? So I don't know if I have a best piece of advice, but I will say I, you know, have adopted a philosophy that was instilled in me when I was young in a previous role that failure is just as important as success and understanding failure in the sense of why something didn't work and how do you adapt from it? Because sometimes success can become complacent and you can just say this works, so I'm going to continue to do it. But when something doesn't work, there's this almost fire that gets lit under you of why it didn't work. I thought it was going to work. Like, what can I do? How can I change? How can I adapt? And I think that becomes a better fuel at points than just harping on success. And it's something that I continue to try to instill in my team of, you know, spend more time looking at what didn't work and trying to figure out why it didn't work or what needed to be adjusted. Or was it a creative issue? Was it a targeting issue? Was it just wrong for our audience and use that to help map what we try next. Because I think at the end of the day, as you continue, continue to map those problems, you start to get a clearer picture and a clearer understanding of what's important for your company and your business. And I think we live in a society where, you know, I get on calls every day and everyone talks about what they did so great the week before and what they're going to do great next week. And, you know, I think the best conversations end up coming out with, you know, Hey, I tried this and it tanked. Like, does anyone have a, an opinion and just becoming really comfortable with that? And it's a hard, it's a hard, um, philosophy to instill in a culture because everyone wants to look good at their job. But I think as a leader of a team and, you know, any manager out there should really focus on finding the time in the week or finding a time in the month to talk only about what didn't work and what only about failures, but not in a way of negativity, but in a way of, you know, triggering a brainstorm. Yeah. Um, creating the safe so I, space to do that too. Exactly. And it's something, you know, as a young, you know, it was told to me when I was very young and obviously something it took a little time for me to get comfortable with because I wanted to think my boss thought I was the best thing since sliced bread, but realized that I could provide more value to him, showing him the full picture and showing him where I succeeded and where I failed and working with him on those failures and, and becoming a better marketer myself and in the end doing more for the business that I was responsible for. So I think it's getting your team comfortable with that. It's getting comfortable with that yourself because it's definitely easier said than done. Absolutely. And is that the advice that you would give to entrepreneurs? You know, I think that there's just that internal motivation that entrepreneurs have. And I think realizing it's okay to have an unmotivated day and a day that you're like, oh, you second guess yourself. I mean, working in fancy, which is definitely in a startup phase of its e-commerce kind of leg of the business. I have those moments, you know, I have those moments where there's a million things on my to-do list and I'm exhausted and I'm just going, you know, oh, I just want a day of peace, right. Of not just, you know, chasing every angle and every opportunity, but just to, you know, sit back. And I think it's okay to take those. I think it's healthy to take those and, and just remember every day why you're, you're doing what you're doing. Cause it's entrepreneurs that keep the world going round. So, you know, I think finding the space in your heart to be, no, it's okay to not chase every second of every day, but doing what you need to do to get it done and getting back on the horse when you're ready to roar. I think that's okay. And I think I feel it even just in that startup phase of Sometimes it's, sometimes it's hard to keep, to self-motivate and, and realize you're not alone in that. Abby, I so appreciate your time today, the generosity that you've given your experience and your wisdom. I, I appreciate oh. you taking the time to have a laugh and, and share. So thank yeah. you so much. I know it was, 
know you're busy. Oh no, it was a great conversation. I love at the end of the day, I'm sure everyone listening, you know, loves to talk about their job. Like luckily I love to talk about marketing. So it's an easy chat for me to have, but I hope it was helpful to some of your listeners. I hope someone was able to pull something out of it, but at the very least I enjoyed, I enjoyed this conversation. Well, I appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Of course. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening this week. I invite you to sign up for my email list or join me in the Connections Coffee and Confidence community on Facebook. Those are the people who get first dibs on any classes or products I create and they benefit from the extras I can't get into in a podcast format. I also lovingly request that if you've enjoyed this podcast, you leave a review on Apple. When I see a new review, I get so excited I almost spill my cappuccino froth. Almost. And if you're a woman entrepreneur who's ready to get serious about using the power of communications to grow your business, send me an email at Janice at JaniceFogarty.com. All my details are in the show notes. Thank you again for listening today, and I'll chat with you again next week. the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY exclusions apply see site for details even when we're on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands they have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at 50 dollars, luxurious italian leather bags and so much more plus quince only works with factories that use safe ethical and responsible manufacturing get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with quince Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.